Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I am doing extraordinarily well. I've been spending day after day, hour after hour, reading out loud for the video camera books about Hypericum. 
Wow. Oh, wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, one that I read yesterday was um, um, Reference for Nurses by Martha Liebster. And we've had Martha on the show. We've talked to her. She's, um, I think, even done a teleseminar. And Delmar's Integrative Herbals for Nurses. The wonderful thing about herbals, of course, is they never get dated, even though it came out you know, 20 years ago. There's nothing at all dated about it. And she has 12 pages about Hypericum. And the last four really just moved me so much because she talked to other nurses and she said, we're, you know, we're the people who can help people understand that they could try herbs first. We're, we're in the right place to do this. And she talked about a woman who had postpartum depression. And she was just depressed because it was postpartum, but also because she hadn't lost any of the 50 pounds that she gained during the pregnancy, and because her relationship with her husband was really tense and non-sexual. So the doctor who was taking care of her said, well, you know, postpartum depression is like a really dangerous thing and you could kill your child so it's really important that you take antidepressant drugs. Wow. He went to the ultimate fear card with that. Unbelievable. Wow. And the only solace that she had was that she was nursing her child and of course they made her stop nursing her child to take these drugs. Mm. Now what are the two most common side effects of antidepressive drugs? Um, weight gain weight, and weight gain and loss of libido. Right. <gasps> no. Oh, <laughs> oh right. <laughs> right. Within a few months, she became suicidal. Oh my goodness. They took away from her nursing her infant. She gained weight. She didn't even care that she didn't have a sex life with her husband. It was like, you know, really, the drug may have relieved her depression, but it made her life absolutely awful. And so Martha talks about, you know, suppose a nurse had said to her, you know, if you take this drug, you'll have to stop nursing your baby, and since that's so important to you, why don't you consider taking this herb, which you can take while you're nursing your baby? And it doesn't have side effects. I believe I got this right, that about 11 million people in Germany have taken Hypericum for over a year, and of those, there have been 27 reported side effects, mostly gastrointestinal upsets. Hmm. Wow, I would not have guessed that that would be the number one, like, even issue. I don't know what I would have guessed, but wow, gastrointestinal right. Yeah. So it was so moving to me 
you know, to have her spending her writing time and to have, you know, Del Mar Publishing House, you know, this very respected publishing house, giving her that platform and that space. Throughout this book, it's like an 800-page book. It's a really long book. She goes into detail about every single herb. And um, it's a really brilliant book. So I'm glad to include it in the Hypericum Conference. Yeah, what's the name of the book by Martha? Delmar's Integrative Herbal for Nurses by Mm. Martha L-I-B-S-T-E-R, Leapster. Sounds like an amazing, amazing find. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's what I've been doing. I've been reading about Hypericum and um, moving ever closer. It's what? Just a month now before the Hypericum Conference. Mm-hmm. Coming oh up. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and Francesca de Grandis called me up. My holiday card to her got returned, so I was very happy to hear from her. Like she knew she'd moved, but I thought I had the new address. Not. Anyhow, she mm. called me up and she said, Hypericum Conference, Hypericum Conference, how come I'm just now hearing about the Hypericum Conference? I want, I need to be part of this conference. And I said, good, you're part of it. She's like, what? <laughs> she said, but isn't it past the deadline? I said, get your stuff together and get it together soon, and you're not past any deadline because the conference hasn't started. So we're going to have, I just get a grandest, a magical, amazing woman and one who has moved herself through an amazing set and series of challenges. Mm. Talking about mm. her ally, Hypericum. She says to me, is it okay? I just want to talk about like how important it is to me and how I've used it. I said, totally okay. Mm. So okay. Love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, love it. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what have you been up to? Oh, goodness. I have been. Um, some Our little tree saplings arrived that we get a few of every year. So we planted um, 25 white pine and 35 little elderberries. And <laughs> getting, yeah, getting beds ready. Um yeah, just watching goats like today, they're just, they've been frolicking in such a spring playful way. Like the boys are frolicking with the boys and the girls are frolicking with the girls. And it's just like not their normal play. And it's just, it's really interesting. Um been watching them because I've been working around. We've been together while we're outside, but I can't have them with me. So it's an interesting perspective because I'm in the beds, garden beds and I'm watching them do their thing without me right there with them. So it's pretty, that's been fun. Um, But just enjoying the greening of everything. It's coming in. It is, it is. (laughs) 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 Uh, I'm reveling in the purple of the crocuses. 
Yes, the, I spotted two the other day and exclaimed when we were going out to plant the pine trees. I was like, look, purple. Look, look, look. There are the crocuses. There are the crocuses. Oh, so, yes. so our guest this evening has a very unusual name, which is Sumati. So I wanted to know what does Sumati mean? She says that she was given this name. Um, by a particular Indian saint. And so I looked it up, you know, what does it mean? It says, well, it means something different in Buddhism, Pali, Hinduism, Sanskrit, Jainism, Hindi. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) However, there was also a general answer. Um, And that is that Sanskrit, in Sanskrit, and I suspect that this is Sanskrit, uh, Su means good, and mati means mind. So sumati means good mind, intelligent person. And sumati was the wife of one of the kings in the Mahabharata, and she bore him 60,000 children. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's a woman. <laughs> Talk about a legacy. So, Sumati, Sumati Sparks will be with us at 9 o'clock, and she is a polyamorous coach. And works toward consensual, loving, open relationships between all beings, no matter how they define or present themselves. Mm-hmm. So stick with us until 9 o'clock to hear what Sumati has to say. Or come on back and listen to Sumati Sparks. Good mind. Yes, I agree. Her name is so intriguing. I did the same thing when I got word of her being a guest. I looked at what is this name? So very interesting. It's it's a it's a curiosity provoking name, that's for sure. So yep. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. <laughs> Do we have any people with questions tonight? All right. So, so far, I see one hand that has been raised by pressing one. I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And we will start with our first caller who has dialed in from the 831 area code. From the 831, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Thank you for having this uh, wonderful resource for all of us. Um, You're welcome. I have a, My pleasure. I have a few questions, but first I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for introducing me to the World Women's Declaration International. You and are And everything that's going on. Sorry, I interrupted you. Um, and I wondered if you saw what happened in New Zealand this weekend. If I saw what happened where? In New Zealand this weekend? No. There was a woman there with the organization Let Women Speak, and uh, 
she first they couldn't decide if they were even going to let her in the country because she was such a controversial person because she's just trying to create safe spaces for women and children. Pretty controversial. Um, pretty heavy. Um, and so basically 80 women showed up to her protest along with 2,000 trans rights activists who she barely made it out alive. She was assaulted and tomatoed and the police did not show up. And when she was in Australia, they framed her as a Nazi supporter. Her name's Kelly J. King. And I just have to say, never would I have expected to see this, but it's happening. And wow, us ladies, we need to stand up and our, our entire families. Because it's definitely real. The entire news organizations are painting it as if she's a Nazi sympathizer. And it's just crazy. Anyhow, I just had to share that with you because I know you get your news from people. Thank you so much. I do. Mm-hmm. And I had, heard some, I had heard something about Kelly Jean, but I didn't know exactly what had gone on. So thank you for filling in some of those details for us. It's, this is not mm-hmm. an isolated incident. No. Women all over who are as I always have throughout my entire career, standing up for women-only space. And it's never been easy. It was not easy to get women-only space at Omega. It was not easy to get women-only space at Kripalu. But I, you know, it's not easy to, even to get women-only space at Roe Camp and Conference mm-hmm. Center, although eventually they started having women's groups. But it is now, as you say, um, almost like risking your life to stand for women's culture and to say that women have a culture. My very fine representative um, is is having a menstrual products drive for which I applaud her, right? She says, you know, women need menstrual products. I shouldn't say that. She said there's a great need for women's, there's a great need for menstrual products for menstruating people. Mm. And I immediately wrote to her and said, that is not the correct language. If someone has told you mm-hmm. that's the correct language, they are wrong. It is menstruating women. If you wish to add menstruating women and others, that's all right. But you will not eliminate women. Yep. It's uh, pretty over the top, the the names that they're coming up with for us. Um, I'm uh, chest feeding and the whole thing is just nuts. Well, in the state of California, Oregon, and Washington, and I'm not sure how many other states, if a man wants to join a rape crisis center, he can. And there's, there's no women-only spaces for those. There's, I've heard women complain about not being able to find rape crisis centers where there's no men yeah. in the groups. And basically, lesbian women can't meet by themselves if a man wants to join. It's illegal. And every bathroom in our state, a man can walk into looking like a man. He just has to say he's a woman. That's California. And I just have to say, Wow. Bad news for women and women's culture and women's safety Mm. and women's mental states, which lead to their health states. 
Mm-hmm. However, this Saturday at Women's Declaration International, we did hear from the athlete, the woman athlete, who stood up and said, mm-hmm. I don't want a penis in my locker room. Yep, I was there. I heard it. And, of course, you know, it did not so go proud. well for her, listeners. You know, don't think everybody mm-hmm. said, oh, thank you for finally speaking up. They said, oh, what kind of evil monster are you? Um, mm-hmm. And yet she got her entire organization to change its rules. And I think the rule is very clear and very sane. Any woman who mm-hmm. would like... The only to, problem... Right, just let, let me tell people what it is. Sorry, Any woman who wants to participate in men's sports is free to participate in men's sports. She can say she's a man or not. Any man who wants to participate in women's sports... Whether he says he's a man or not, if he's gone through puberty, he can't participate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's something. It's, it's some turning it's a start. of the tide, and it's about time. Yeah. It may not be perfect, but it is, it is a move in the right direction. Well, people and just I believe, don't know. I, That's the thing. I believe that, um, that her sport was... Uh, track and that the World uh, Organization for Swimming has also adopted a similar rule. Mm-hmm. I believe the World Athletics Organization just came out and said that yeah. the unfortunate part of what they said is that you, ha- you, have to, you have to have transitioned before puberty. Yes. Which is just wrong in itself that children are being allowed to take cross. Mm-hmm. Hormones. It's therapy because I they know agree. it's dangerous. Children should not transition, but what they're talking about is sports. Yeah, yeah. And what, yeah. We're, That's what right, we're it's talking about is testosterone, which are lifelong. And once mm-hmm. your cells are mm-hmm. exposed to testosterone, it doesn't matter what you do. You have that right. advantage. I looked at an interview with a woman who did powerlifting, and she was talking about but man <clears throat> who said he was the woman that she was competing against. And she said, look, his hands are twice as big as mine. Mm-hmm. He's, she said, even if I could lift more weight, I can't pick it up because my hands aren't big enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. She was being interviewed by a man, a somewhat older man, looked like he was probably, you know, in his 60s or so. And he kept saying, well, that's just so unfair. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. Kind of, kind of sweet. His bewilderment right. how, how this came to be. It's just it's kind of, it's getting silly. So um, I just want to side note um, my my husband's suggestions for the Hypericon Hypericum conference is to call it the Hypericon. I've been calling it the Hycon. Yes, <laughs> I like that. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> If, if I may get to my question. So all of that we just talked about is actually related to my, my personal health question. Um, I'm just going to give you kind of like, if it's okay, my history, and because uh, it's pretty basic, simple stuff. Um, I have five kids. I'm 50. I'm clearly in menopause. I have lived, you know, my last 15 years in a fairly high-stress environment, off of coffee, and beer, not eating enough. Um, I'm a daily cannabis user. Um, I've had major stress events over the last four or five years, um, you know, besides COVID, other stuff that was pretty, pretty
pretty intense. Um, other than that, I eat a very healthy diet. Um, I eat the whole from the whole spectrum. I eat lots of organic dairy products, raw milk, you know, organic meat. We grow a lot of our own food. And uh, but I still have had this like um, consistent stomach. It's not stomach, it's actually small intestine issue. Uh, I drink nourishing herbal infusions, and I've done so for three years daily. They're, like, saving my life, made my PMS emotional symptoms really reduce and uh, giving me all kinds of energy, darkened my hair, my skin's healthier. Um, and then, yeah, all the, side, all the side effects are really great. Oh, it's incredible. And my whole family <laughs> drinks them. The kids, my kids ask for them. They just love them. Oh, I'm so, so about, glad to hear that. Yes. It's the best. Linden, of course, is their favorite, but Comfrey, they'll drink it all. They love it. All right. Um, hurrah. Yep. Thank you. Um, so my, one of my, I think, and then my issues are that I don't have, I haven't had enough movement. You know, I move a lot just because I'm a gardener and I'm a small business owner. And so I, I'm, and I'm a very active person, you know, I'm just, I move, but I don't have like a practice, which is something I've heard you talk about a lot. So I'd like to really working towards that right now. Um, uh, um, not really, I don't have any allergies to anything. You know, my main health issues have been like basically emotional PMS issues for most, you know, for my adult life uh, or pre yeah, PMS stuff. And, um, but up about, about two weeks ago, about two and a half, three weeks ago now, I started noticing my mouth would feel inflamed when I smoked cannabis, just slightly. And then a few days later, I started getting the symptoms of GERD, which I kept hearing in my head, GERD, GERD. And so I ended up going to the dock in the box because I got really, my throat started feeling like clumpy and weird, like I couldn't quite swallow right. And my mouth was swelling on the inside. My lips swelled up really big. And it was an allergic reaction to something. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's not reflux, that's allergic reaction. But I'm burping and I'm erping and I'm having all this acid pain and the only way to make it feel better is to drink a little vinegar water and to just like cut out all the capsicum and anything that irritates us. So I'm like kind of trying to fall, that's what it feels like. Um, and I was going to say, really, how, much, how much pepper is there in your diet? Well, so my husband... Is loves Caribbean food, he loves Asian food, and he loves peppers. And I really am not whatever. I'm, I like some, you know, mild jalapenos in my burritos and stuff like that, but nothing major. But I have noticed over the last few years that any kind of pepper has started to, like, hurt my intestines. Yeah, you bet. So he made this, like, really intense, spicy, like, rich, pineapple tomato sauce meal, and that's when my throat... That's when I yeah. really, the symptoms kicked in hard. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad was hypothyroid. Pepper, he had ulcers. Is a direct irritant to the mucosa. Mm-hmm. It irritates on contact as soon as it touches the tongue and the oral surfaces of the mouth. There is a burning sensation. Some people... Learn to associate that burning sensation, which does cause a release of dopamine with pleasure in the same way that some people seek out relationships where there is a lot of fighting because it also releases dopamine. Mm. Hmm. Both things are somewhat addictive. 
because mm-hmm. of the domain and additive because you're never going to quite get the same amount of dopamine with the same amount of substance. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. brother is so addicted, after living in India for a good many years, to hot pepper that he makes his own super hot pepper sauce and carries it with him everywhere and does not eat without it. Wow. But for you and for me, pepper is lethal. Right, yeah, and I've been thinking to myself, if someone sprayed you with pepper spray, it's straight kill me. (laughs) You know, because what happened is I I went off, you know, I went really kind of mellow diet because I was having such symptoms. No pepper, no spice, nothing. And my husband accidentally fed me, uh, I mean, he made a quesadilla for me and he didn't tell me he put salsa in it. And it was salsa that had serranos and jalapenos and my lips. And so my lips had kind of gone down. They're a little flaky. You know, I being really careful about what I ate. Anytime I ate something a little too spicy, like anything with any spice whatsoever, you could feel it would hurt. But I was just being so careful because it was such a horrible reaction that I was like, oh, hell no, I don't want to experience this anymore. And then, again, I got – he um, – I ate that – quesadilla and my lips swelled up bad botox job all over again my mouth was swollen my heartburn was back you know i had to sleep sitting up all the things and so i went to the doc in the box the week prior to that and i got tested for h pylori of course they wanted to give me the steroids the proton pump inhibitors all that stuff they wanted to do an allergy supposed to be in your stomach you cannot be healthy without it yeah see this is what okay this is what i wanted to get to the bottom of with you because those studies, you know, the doctors say that, oh, well, I'm sure you already know this, but what, they, what the predominant Western medicine thought is that it's only in slums and it's like in highly concentrated places and you can give it to each other and they don't know why it happens. And, but I've heard you say that everyone has to have it. Exactly. Okay. But I tested negative for it. <laughs> All right. So hopefully then you have it at a low level. Mm-hmm. So I then went to another doctor because I read a regular doctor box. He basically just told me, you know, they were worried that I was like having an anaphylactic shock or something like that. Right, right, right. And I feel like I might be allergic to my stomach acid coming up out of my throat, but I don't know if that's absurd. Um, so what I've been pepper, doing to try and... Pepper is a caustic substance. Yeah, exactly. You need to avoid it completely. Your husband but even black pepper, right? understand. At this point, you probably need to avoid bell peppers too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any pepper. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing, and it's definitely all of my symptoms are reducing. But I feel like all my, basically what it feels like is my body is on watchdog. Like the yeah. mouth's on watchdog right now. Yeah. For anything I put inside, it's like, no! You know, because it was so instant. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So you have access to good yogurt. Mm-hmm. And I'm eating a ton of it. And it's funny because even comfort, everything, water made my mouth reactive. Yeah, a little bit. Water makes it You never, never, ever don't drink water if you're being burned by pepper because it's pepper. The pepper burns oil, and it's like throwing water into an oil fire. It spreads it out. 
What okay. you want is a little bit of yogurt. So you might be eating too much yogurt. Okay. But what I'd like you to see if it works for you is if you could have um, maybe some yogurt like um, mixed with a little vanilla extract or um, mixed up with some fruit or something so that it's like um, a little more liquidy than usual. So you could have like a sip now and then. Mm-hmm. Not like sit down to have a whole bunch of yogurt, but just, oh, you know, I'm going to have some mm-hmm. infusion. Maybe I'll have a little bit of yogurt before I have my infusion or after I have my infusion because mm-hmm. it's right there. And see if, like, bringing it in in that more consistent way um, gives your small intestine a better chance at it. When I was looking into information about the gut biome, the first thing that made my jaw drop open was that most of the research was being done on dehydrated feces. Right? <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It is. It's just it's so it's, it's like... Weird. It's just because we it, we do not envision that, right? It's like we're thinking, looking at dehydrated feces. Okay, I understand for a million reasons, but it's still, it is yeah. funny, and it just seems like counterintuitive. And then as I continued to research this, I realized, oh, gee, golly, golly, what's in that feces is the biome in your large intestine. Mm-hmm. And they were saying all these things about how, you know, your biome is so unique to you and it's more unique than your fingerprint and, you know, but it, you know, changes during the first couple of years of life and then it settles down and it's like absolutely you. And I thought, gosh, that just doesn't seem quite right. And as I got more and more information, I suddenly realized <laughs> they're not even talking about the small intestine. Mm. And when they started looking at the small intestine, all they could say was, it appears to have a different biome every time we look at it, even in the same person. Mm. So I think of the large intestine as being kind of like this stable area with settled colonies of various things. And we can feed them and make them more productive, like if we have resistant starch that gets to the large intestine and it feeds certain things there and they get, you know, really strong. Um, But the small intestine is just moving and dancing and singing and changing all the time. And it's part of the immune system. And it makes serotonin and a lot of other brain chemicals right there in your small intestine. Mm-hmm. So the more actively we can encourage that dance by introducing a lot of different things, the better it seems to go on. Mm-hmm. The current 
best bet for helping deal with acid reflux is dandelion root. Mm-hmm. I've been if you drinking have dandelion um, flower wine on hand, that will work too. I've been drinking it in replace as a coffee substitute. I've been making a really strong infusion of roasted chicory and dandelion, and it's the best thing ever. Isn't that delicious? It's so good. Oh I know. <laughs> I can't even believe it. It's uh, honestly, it's a wonderful substitute. And I, I, the thing is, this is so severe that I was like, done coffee, done beer, you know. And I've been struggling for a while, you know, to even stop those things for whatever reason. And it was, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't like feeling bad because I'm not used to feeling bad. So I just have to say to everyone out there, just get yourself some roasted chicory and dandelion from Frontier and use that instead. It's wonderful. It's so good. So, and, you're, and it makes so you balls, Right? So, and I've been told by acupuncturists for a long time that my liver is one of the things I need to work on. So I've been taking slippery elm balls. Like crazy. I mean, I've been using them to really, they really helped. A little, um, I've, all of, I've made so many different yummy vinegars um, that I just use a little bit of vinegar and water, and that seems to get rid of the acid reflux almost immediately. And um, I've, kind, I've kind of taken a break on trying to figure out tinctures right now because it kind of inflames my mouth a little bit but my instinct was to go towards osha um but so I don't in know. general it's not a good idea to put tinctures directly in your mouth yeah i put them in water or a, okay or, or a all right tincture. but it's still bothering your mouth even diluted in water yes okay yes yeah. um, and marshmallow are kind of the only thing that aren't Mm. We love you, Lyndon. We love you, Marshmallow. I love so much so. Um, (laughs) And Marshmallow, I grew the most beautiful marshmallow plants this year, and they were just, they're just quadrupling in size this next year. All right. I'm thrilled to hear that. I keep trying to grow marshmallow, and the groundhogs keep eating it down. Ah. So I, I, I meant to mention that I think one of the things I'm having is an existential crisis because I'm allergic to life because of this let women speak stuff and all these other things that I'm struggling with. And it's almost, because I, I really have sat with this for quite a while now, and I'm like, am I allergic to life right now because of my opinion of things going on, you know? Um, um, I No, you're not allergic to life. <laughs> Uh, but is this stressful to you? Yes, this is stressful to you. And women mm-hmm. tend to feel this kind of existential stress much more because our culture is a culture of continuum. Mm. It's a culture in which we feel what has happened to our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers and Mm -hmm. the ancestors and the ancient ones. And we look forward, you know, through seven generations to those who are coming Mm -hmm. after us. And it does, you know, it is frightening to me that my granddaughter has to enter this world. Hmm. Has to enter a world, you know, where in, where a lesbian is defined as 
a non-man who loves a non-man. And I said to her, wrong. The definition of a lesbian starts with woman. Mm-hmm. You can put any word you want after it, but it has to start with woman. And you are, never felt so strong. You, you are feeling the stress of that. And, um, you know, I always caution people. Listen, Saturday after I've been in Women's Declaration International Forum, um, don't agitate me because I'm very, very on edge at this point. I'm mm. probably, you know, probably the most annoyed I'm going to be all week. <laughs> <laughs> it's so informational. The women are so brilliant and academic and well-read and just incredible. It's incredible. Yes. But yes, it's, and it's, in the it's, front it's, lines it's, it's and being brave and ouch. telling the truth and wow. Yeah. 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 Pretty good. So, so that's kind of my what about go, like having go with your bottle of motherwort. Okay. Mhm. Right? And let motherwort help you. Um and know that so long as we're smiling we're on the right track. What did Mother Jones say? I want to be able to dance the revolution. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, my instinct is to get together with women and just have yummy female interactions and and make my women's tent and do all that, and that feels like the answer. Exactly. Exactly. I often tease my uh, brother of the soul, Patch Adams, who we were born the same year and grew up with the same thought, which is, ooh, something wrong with health care. And his way of dealing with it has been to envision a wonderful integrative hospital. And my way of envisioning it was to teach so many people that they teach so many people that they teach so many people that herbal medicine becomes people's medicine again. Hmm. That's my goal. You got me 100%. Right. So we're women. We know how to do it. Mm-hmm. We don't need a big hospital. We don't need even an NGO. We just do it by being with each other. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Green blessing. I appreciate you well. so much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And I will remind everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And uh, we have three callers at this time who have raised their hand. The next caller is dialed in from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Yeah. Hey, Carol, Hi. how are you tonight? Oh, um, very well, now that I hear your voice. Um, um, so I was going to ask you, uh, I have the computer here. Uh, how, how do I look and, and make sure? I know I registered, but I, I just want to make sure. Is there something that okay. I... Okay, go to com. Okay, Um um, okay, and you go to Wise Women's School, and then? Okay, are you there at Wise Women's School? Yeah, I'm there right now. Yeah? Okay. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, can you find the Hypericum Conference or the St. Joneswort Conference? I'm not sure what name they're using there. Yes, I'll get right there. One you can go right there. Good. What happens when you well, click on that? I'm not there yet, just yet. Wisewomanschool.com. My friend is yes. here helping me. Good. Wisewomanschool.com. Yes. Okay. Get to that. Click on it. Uh-huh. Okay, then. Okay, right. now it says people, expertise, and health advice you can trust. And it says enroll now. Uh-huh. And what's below that? Um, we have to go back. You scroll down. Okay. Oh, scroll down. Okay, keep going. Okay. Mm-hmm. Featured courses. Mm-hmm. You see courses there? Yeah, courses. Here it is. The St. John's Wart Conference. Conference. Perfect. Uh-huh. Click on that. Click. Okay. Does that let you in? Um, one moment. I'm 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 checking. I clicked. Okay. And I believe that there are already things at the marketplace and um, the kitchen slash pharmacy, as well as um, presenters' profiles. And there are probably a few short um, clips. You know, I call each presenter early on in the process, and we talk so that I have a little bit of them to put in their presenter profile so you can hear their voice. And sometimes we have such interesting conversations that we use a little bit of it um, in the what we call kind of the front matter of the conference. Can you see any of those things? Why not? What's your username and password? I'm, I'm sorry, Susan. I'm just trying to navigate after... Um, so I got to the next place. It says Hypericum Conference. Okay, excuse me, but she's at the place to enroll in the course. What is it that we're trying to find, please? I thought she said she was already enrolled. I I did enroll, Susan. Okay, so then you should have a login. So then you have a username and a and a login exactly because okay. you've enrolled. Another another potential way to solve this is to go to your email account and in oh, yeah. the search use the use the word enrolled e n r o l l e d and the word wart w o r t enrolled wart and it should come up and clicking that should take you you know right right in or prompt you to go exactly. that was that was good. That well, it's still. Uh, I mean, I I see what you're saying. Thank you so much. We did find the email when I clicked it. It then now brings us to her login information page. Okay, so that definitely means you are enrolled in the course um, okay. for free. So you have enrolled, and now you just need to solve your login. Perfect. Five six eight. Yeah. Thank so you, Sarah I, Ellen. Yes. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. That was that was quick. When you go to, um, what was the words again? You said go, oh, enrolled. So we, enrolled. And wart, W-O-R-T, I love it. Yeah, enrolled. The enrolled wart. Okay, so so we did the username, what? 
I did it again. Here you are. Okay, so we we did the login and the password, and and now there's an introduction video by Susan Weed. Well, there you that's go. It. So that so when the conference starts, at, but is this all preview stuff that you put on now? What yes. to expect? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so and, and you know, and the other stuff that I said. I think that there's some people already at the marketplace. There'll be more people. Um, Sarah Ellen's been reaching out to people um, about their participation in the marketplace. If you're interested in participating in the marketplace, please let us know. And I know that I have been um, photographing recipes, um, which include hypericum. Of course, they're all salve recipes or oil recipes. It's not actually used as a food um, you like pick the flowers and throw them in your salad because you want them for remedies. Um, even though it has been approved as a food coloring, so the Food and Drug Administration oh. has approved Hypericum as a food coloring, which might help us get rid of red dye number forty, which is nasty little red dye. So oh, okay. Yes, isn't that interesting? So those pages should be available. And as I said, there should be some audio clips of me talking to a couple of the presenters. There are always, like, interesting bits that Allie sits out and put up there for, puts up there for you to enjoy. Oh, okay. Uh, so those clips... And then the conference starts May 1st. And so on May 1st, there will be... I don't know, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, two or three presentations, and those people will also be present that day um, or the very next day for a Zoom session, a live Zoom session where you can actually talk to them, and about an hour's worth of shorts will be available to you on the first day. On the second day, there will be two or three more presentations, the presenters will be available for Zoom sessions, and there will be more shorts, and everything that was available on May 1st is still available. There's never any point at which it's going to be shut down and you're not going to be allowed to see it anymore. Oh, thank you, Susan and Sarah Allen. Um, that's great. So um, we are going to be putting it up on a day-by-day basis. So on May 1st, you can only see what's available May 1st. Uh, May 4th, you can only see what's available May 1st, May 2nd, May 3rd, and May 4th. So you can't go on May 4th and see it right through to the end because we're not doing it that way. We're putting it up day-by-day day so that we can have the Zoom sessions and we can have interactions and talk about what's being presented, what we're hearing, right, Um and be able to ground and use the information. Yes, sounds wonderful. Um, yeah. When you, there's going to be videos of you um, talking. Is that the introduction? I have, made, video? I have made quite a few videos over the past month or so. I have made. Um, pretty extensive um, amount of videos of me reading from books about Hypericum. When Justine was here in February for my birthday, we filmed a s- series of videos 
of me talking about my experiences with Hypericum. Right. So those are going to be part of the Hypericum conference. Right, but they're not up now, though. The conference has not started. It starts May 1st. Yes, okay, very good. But on the site now is an introduction video by Susan Weed. Correct. You have an yeah, introduction, so that's a good as thing. As well as some audio clips of me talking to presenters. Yes, yes, very good. And quite so possibly good. some recipes and some people at the marketplace. Okay, very good. And okay. the, the, the painting is gorgeous of the, uh, the woman with the um, hypericum. The, the and the T-shirts uh, are underway. And do they have that logo on them, the, the woman? They do, as well as the other one. I don't know if you remember, but Durga did a hypericum. Durga Yael did a hypericum goddess. And it, it, she was a companion to the comfrey goddess, very serene and sitting there. And I said, oh, my goodness, that's not hypericum at all. Um, and it's not botanically accurate enough for me. Um, I want a goddess who's very energetic, and there's like energy rays shooting out yes. her fingertips, yes. which is what you're seeing yes. in that yes. image. But there, there is the other one, which is this very serene, you know, kind of hypericum goddess um, figure. Not that this one isn't a goddess. So I'm having T-shirts made of both the images and a few T-shirts made with both Images, one on the front, one on the back. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> t-shirts galore. Thank you, Durga Yael, for letting us do T-shirts. She oh, was a little bit against it, not quite sure last year. But this year, uh, she's been wonderfully cooperative about the T-shirts. I appreciate it. Yes, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Is there any any little greens up that you're you're eating out from the out of doors at this? I've been table? eating my walking onions. I've been eating wild chives. I've been eating garlic mustard leaves. Uh huh. Um. I've been in eating salad. mint. I've been eating mint, but that's from a plant that's in the house, so I guess that doesn't really count. <laughs> I've been pr- I've been pruning back several of the mint family plants that I overwintered. Right, so I'm pruning back the rosemary and the mint and the sage, and eating the uh, prunings. I made a big bone broth, and um, after I strained it out, I put uh, the cut back, back pieces of herb in with it to let it uh, let mm. their oils that- gently infuse into it. And give it a wonderful, savory smell. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, sounds yeah. fabulous. Um, all right, very good. And pretty soon the nettles will be coming up. And you eat them when they're about how many inches tall? Well, it depends on how hungry you are for them. You could pick them right away. You don't have to wait. But uh, usually, you know, just to make it worth the effort of cutting it, usually you wait until they're three or four inches tall. But really, you, it's not like... You have to wait, or there's some right time. Yes, right. right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Be... okay, thank you so much. Here comes Neville. Thank you. I love you, Carol. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, and it looks like one of the callers dropped. So at this time, we have one caller that has pressed one. 
to signal that they have a question. If anyone else would like to raise their hand at this time, please press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Uh, and you will be able to speak live with Susan. Our next caller has dialed in from the 262 area code. From the 262, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thanks for taking my call. My name is Rachel. Um, I'm 29 years old, and I am currently 14 weeks pregnant. Um, but the reason I'm calling, actually, is that I've been experiencing hives all over my body for about five years now, off and on. It can happen maybe twice a year. almost comes on like a sickness would, and it can last anywhere from two to about seven weeks. Um, Ouch. And then you can itch. Yeah, it's not been fun. And I've tried to, you know, just play with different foods, see what which things make it flare up. I haven't noticed a pattern. There's been no – I did go to the doctor, and obviously after um, allergy testing, nothing but steroids they would be able to give me. So I'm just hoping maybe you have some wise woman advice for um, anything I could work with herbally, spiritually, um, yeah, anything. Yes. First of all, I just want to say that hives are always kind of alarming. Okay. It's uh, it's almost like a kind of alien thing happening, right? You're like fine, and then suddenly there's these red welts rising up on your skin from nowhere. Yeah, exactly. And it can be hard to like stay in one's body when that's happening because it's almost like it's pushing you out. It is. I don't feel my like myself when they happen. Yeah. So in terms of herbs, plantain oil or ointment, okay. OSHA tincture. The plantain oil, my preference, or ointment, easier to carry around, will Mm -hmm. usually stop the itching of the hives and cause them to recede very quickly. Mm. Yes. Okay. And my experience has been that the quicker they can that the itch can be taken away the shorter the duration of the episode. Mm, okay. Yeah, I don't think there's any of us that can, that can totally resist itching, even if we're just <laughs> rubbing, which is, you know, which is what the goats do. They just go and rub against a tree, rah, 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 right? Because <laughs> they don't have fingernails. Yeah. So we're going to do that, and that's going to, you know, create more inflammation. Exactly, yep. And there's just no way not to. So the getting in there with plantain and stopping the itching is really important. The OSHA root tincture, even a, a dose as small as two or three drops, will help to divert your body's ability to cause hives. Okay. 
is actually like it, it goes in and it says, oh, there's an emergency over here you have to deal with. Stop doing that. Mm, okay. Right. And, and that, it also works really, really rapidly. So it's not, we don't take OSHA like, I'm going to take OSHA so I don't get this reaction. We keep the OSHA around or with us. So if you start to have a hive reaction, you take the OSHA right away. Okay. Got it. So you have two first aid remedies. And one way to do it is to buy an ounce of OSHA tincture and then get a bunch of bottles. And so divided your one-ounce bottle up into four to six smaller bottles that you can have around. You can keep one in your car. You can keep one in your backpack or uh, gym bag or whatever bag you carry around with you. You can keep one, you know, by your bed in the kitchen so that you have instant access to some OSHA tincture. And although we don't usually take tinctures directly in the mouth, I always put OSHA tincture directly into people's mouths if they're having mm. a reaction. Like if you're having a hive reaction, I want to put that OSHA tincture right into your mouth because I want it absorbed into your bloodstream from the mucosa in the mouth. Mm, okay. I don't want it to have to go through digestion. Boom, I want it right there. <laughs> right. I do the same thing with my pain relief remedies. I take several pain relief remedies, two or three drops of them in the morning, mm. and I put them directly on the mucosa of my mouth because I want them to go right to work. And they taste, and have they have a strong taste and a strong smell, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I'm also conditioning myself to have less pain when I smell and taste them. So that's why two or three drops mm-hmm. will work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So <clears throat> I also know that when there's something happening and I think that I don't want it to happen, uh, that that's true, but it's also not true. So while mm. while you don't want the hives to happen, there is also a part of you that likes that being pushed out of your body sensation. Mm. Find gonna... find other ways to satisfy that. Mm. Right? Is it skiing fast? Is it um, meditation? Yeah. Oh, Is it that makes orgasm? What? What? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Where can you get that? Where can you do mm. that to yourself without yeah. being subjected to it? Yes. Yes. Be in control of it. Well, not even so much in control of it, but being its lover rather than its jailer. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Right. You're in an adversarial relationship now with these hives. Mm-hmm. You want to get rid of them. And who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. 
and especially if this goes on for seven weeks, oh, what an absolute misery. Gosh. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes, seriously, <sighs> right? So, yeah. And now being pregnant. And when we say, I hear you, I hear you, you like this particular sensation here. Let's see if this is it too. Can we get it here? Right, right, right. Right. And, that, you know, we're not going to try to thwart ourselves or to say, mm. you know, like in the example that a mother leads to us, like, okay, you know, your postpartum depression, you're going to kill your baby, so we're going to take the only good thing from your life away from you that you're breastfeeding her. It's like, wait, this, mm. this is not the way to help someone. Right. <laughs> right. And certainly not the way to help ourselves. Right. Yeah. So... Whenever we see ourselves, you know, putting up the good fight against ourselves, then we say, all right, you know, where where can I be more compassionate to myself? Where can I find a way to supply this need I have? Yeah. And to view those needs without judgments. Yeah, that's that's been a hard part for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's I I've been wanting to call in for so long and I knew you would have just the right words. So thank you so much. Yeah. I came out of what turned out to be my last mistletoe IV therapy appointment, sat down in the car and I said, Oh my gosh, my belly itches and I pulled up my shirt and you know how it, how it looks when it's just happening, right? And there's your smooth skin and the red, you know, the red <laughs> craziness and the itching. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, I guess my body is done with this therapy. I <laughs> see a big rejection. Okay, I tell you what, I'm going to sit on my hands. Fortunately, you know, somebody else was driving, right? But that would have worked too if I'd had to have my hands on the wheel. So I'm just sitting on my hands, right? I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. It's about 40 minutes home. And I didn't touch it. I got home. It was still a little itchy. I put some plantain oil on it. And blessed be, that was the end of it. Oh, yes. Oh. Right, because right away I said, I hear you. I hear you. We're not going to ever do that again. But I get it. Mm-hmm. We had, she had had a really hard time getting into a vein. My veins are so easy to get into. They're like the Lincoln Tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happened all of my life. I just said, they're close to the surface. Everybody, you know, all the phlebotists would say, oh, it's so easy to get into. But she could not get this IV in at all. And I was like oh, making note of it. Wow. But then, then with the hives on top of it, I'm like, check, got it. All right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. What a What a signal. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for calling and sharing. Thank you. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. Blessings. Right. I see any hands raised. So I'll remind everyone that if you have a question, please press one so that we can see your hand and get your line opened up. Um, we do have two email questions. I was so, going to say, um, we have questions from Nicole. Yes, we definitely. We have two really interesting questions from Nicole, who will be speaking at the Hypericum conference. So, um, okay, the first question. One, um, I'd like 
you to comment on tannins in the yarrow tincture used for brushing teeth. I was using my tincture for some time and noticed that my teeth were a bit discolored. I talked to my dentist friend and she said, oh, that's normal, Nicole. You're always drinking those herbal infusions. They must have a lot of tannins. And then it clicked and I thought about my yarrow tincture, which actually stains my toothbrush. Does this happen to you as well? But I do have to say that my dentist did a cleaning recently after many years and told me that my teeth have very good remineralization, obviously my nourishing herbal infusions and taking care to eat well. So that's question one. Yes. So my answer to that is it is one of the few drawbacks. Yes, the herbs do contain tannins. It's pretty much the same as if you were drinking coffee or tea, right, which also contain tannins which, yep, do stain your teeth. It's absolutely true. My dentist has long complained. He says, especially the back teeth, they're so, like, stained from the herbs. And like, yep, well, fortunately, it's the back ones and not so much. <laughs> All right. What could you do herbally to kind of offset that is lemon, right? Lemon is a mild uh, whitener. Um baking soda, but you don't want to get much stronger than that because it can really harm your gums. Even the stuff in the drugstores is supposedly not very good for your gums. So what can we say? Is it better to live a long, active, healthy, juicy, fun life with discolored teeth or to die young with white teeth? Oh, I think I'd take the first, but, you know, it's everybody's choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not denying it. It's absolutely true. There are tannins in the nourishing herbal infusion. You can see them, right? The company infusion is black. The nettle infusion is black. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that there are tannins in there. And uh, they are going to, with consistent and long use, discolor your teeth. Question number two. All right. Second question is about hawthorn flowers. Yesterday I was walking out by the river and I saw that the flower buds were on the trees and I thought, oh, May is just around the corner. And then I turned the bend and they were in bloom. So lovely. I love making and using vinegar with the berries, but I wonder if I can do the same with the flowers. I will try to read or I will try to see how that works. I was also planning on making a tincture with the flowers and green leaves. All of this in hopes of taking your ones and myself. Anyway, maybe just some thoughts on the hawthorn flowers. Hawthorn flowers don't have a really nice scent. I'm reminded of tree that grows right next to my house, which is related to hawthorn. And in fact, it smells, it creates a smell which attracts its pollinator, which are flies. And we know what flies are attracted to. And hawthorn doesn't smell that bad, but it doesn't smell real good either. And there's been... Quite a few bloody jokes made about what hawthorn flowers might smell like. 
the first person to bring the bough of blooming hawthorn to the manor received a bowl of cream with this, you know, sexual undercurrent of hawthorn. Hawthorn smells like lovemaking. Hawthorn smells like a, a woman filled with desire. And so you get a bowl of cream for finding the first flowering hawthorn branch. In herbal medicine, you're absolutely right. Hawthorn leaves and flowers are used interchangeably with the berries. There are probably quite a bit more anthocyanins in the berries and probably quite a bit more polyphenols in the leaves and the flowers just because those constituents tend to be in those particular places in plants and we can see the dark color of the berry, which is an indication of the anthocyanin and some hawthorn berries being darker than others, of course. So my experience, my first experience with the leaves and the flowers was when Eagle Song gave me a quart of infusion of hawthorn leaves and flowers that she had harvested and dried, and she put a ounce, a full ounce of the dried leaves and flowers in a, made in, in a jar and made an infusion of it with a quart of boiling water. And I took one sip of it, and I was pretty much unable to talk for the next 30 minutes, talk about tannins. It was one of the most tannic-rich things I have ever gotten in my mouth. My lips were literally stuck to my teeth. My tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. We were laughing so hard and she hadn't drunk any of it but she decided she would probably dilute it out she actually likes that that tannic and that astringent quality and continues to drink it and enjoy it i have never drunk it since because it's certainly not my cup of tea as we know susan doesn't even like the tannins in red clover very well so she puts a little hint of mint in her red clover to make it less tannic tasting so um i think that you're on the right track experimenting go for it nicole you know make little bits of this little bits of that you know um not just you know using vinegar using 100 proof vodka but also um what using the flower buds, using the flowers when they're almost spent. My friend Rena Nisa, I always think of her um, at this time of the year because the buds of the roses, the leaf buds, are just emerging and swelling. And that's one of her favorite remedies. Right, raspberry, of course, being in the rose family. But she says that the, the rose family in bud has intense hormonal precursors and that those are very easily used by the body. So might there be some of them in the flower? It's certainly possible. Might there be more in the bud? I think so. As a matter of fact, there's a whole kind of growing exploration of the medicine of buds and how flower buds and leaf buds are different than the open flower or the open leaf. Have you used hawthorn um, flower or leaf, Sarah Ellen? 
I have used them as infusion. The first time I experienced them was with Hawthorne, when, or was with Hawthorne, ha-ha, Eagle Song. I could almost call her Hawthorne because she's so <laughs> But Eagle Song prepared um, an infusion of the leaf and flower as well as a decoction of the berry. And I, they are totally different. I not. I, I am a fan of the tannins, I guess, because I do like – the astringency does not bother me of the infusion. It's one that I rotate in pretty normally. Um, the decoction, I have never been able to recreate like Eagle Song made. It was so good. It had a taste of almost like vanilla in it. Um, but it was mm. just a berry that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So she put like an ounce or two of berries in a quart jar and filled it up with boiling water and let it steep and then strained the berries out, and gently simmered the liquid down until mm-hmm. it was reduced. Usually in a decoction, you reduce by half. Wow. It was so delicious. Right. Oh. Now, sometimes with a berry like Hawthorne, some people will leave the berries in and simmer it with the berries in, which breaks it down, breaks the berry down, and releases pectin and makes a thicker decoction. Mm. Mm. And, of course, if you add sugar or honey to it, you have a syrup. Mm, That would be interesting. Yeah. Long looking forward, we planted hawthorns all along our driveway, but they're babies. Yay! (laughs) One day, one day. (laughs) The hawthorn your son gave to me flowered for the first time last year. I didn't think it would have fruit. It had one flower, but this year... I'm banking on it, having a bunch of flowers, and maybe the first of my own hawthorn that I can harvest. Oh, very blessed. Wow, that would be exciting. That would be so much fun. Yeah. Um, well, we've got about 12 minutes, and I do see two hands that have gone up. Are you ready for the next question? I am. All right. We will go to you from the 715. You are the next caller from the 715. You are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. This is Christina. Um, the reason I'm calling, I took your Happy Knees course today. Um, I have osteoarthritis in my knees and in my back, and um, that, the osteoarthritis in my knees has caused a really painful baker cyst. Um, um, what actually my main question is, how long would I try those suggestions? Like what would be a reasonable amount of time before I would maybe go to more invasive, um, things to solve that problem? What are you thinking of using to help dissolve the Baker cyst? Um, you know, I don't know because I, this is, it sounds crazy, but when I go to doctors, they don't give me any suggestions for that. Yeah, they don't. They really don't. And they don't like to surgically remove them because they often come back. Right. That's what I've been told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they really just like, just leave it be. So um, you could use herbs that are called discutient or decudient, they're herbs that dissolve things. Violet leaf is an herb like that, right? Comfrey leaf is considered an herb like that. To some extent, both red clover and plantain are used in that way. 
So any of those that you have access to, either as an oil or an ointment or um, what's considered, of course, the best is the fresh plant, which is kind of beaten or chopped up and heated up a little bit and applied. Um, I think you will see some diminishment of the size. Mm-hmm. But I think what's most important is that the compresses or poultices or whatever you're putting on it, the oil, whatever it is, tends to soften them and make them less painful. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, make it a little sure. smaller and a little softer and a little less painful. And then I think that we can um, take a really good look at um, – what what your desires are. It's such a tricky place because on one aspect, the people I know who've got hip replacements and knee replacements definitely are in less pain than before they had the replacement. There's mm-hmm. no question in my mind. But that even though they were in pain after the surgery and even though some people have had difficult results from the surgery that the vast majority of people at least within a year feel a lot better there are things that you give up though and depending on what kind of knee replacement you get um, most of the time you wind up not being able to kneel (laughs) yeah that's kind of a big one for some people yeah yeah, so that makes the, uh, it makes the answer to your question a little different, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The answer to your question then becomes until you literally can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that could be a long, long time, depending on um, the level of pain relief you're able to get, your reaction to things, um do you do Tai Chi or Qi Kung at this point? Um, not right now. I do yoga. Um, yoga can be very, mm-hmm. very good. The wonderful thing about the Tai Chi or the Qi Kung is that it's um, very focused in a way that yoga isn't on moving energy through all the joints. Okay. And since you know that the joints have no circulation of their own and that mm-hmm. they can only relieve themselves of their waste and take in new food and energy when they are moved. Mm-hmm. And so while yoga can do that and is not bad for that in any way, a Tai Chi and Qigong are more practiced ways of doing that, shall I say. And especially because it sounds like what you want to do is to become more subtly aware of what's going on in your joints because especially with the knees, if you just stand with your feet shoulder width and ever so slightly move side to side and feel Everything that's going on in your knees, as that happens, you'll see that the tiniest change in your stance 
can change what's going on. Okay. Yeah, um, I really appreciate like last Thursday and Friday, because um, I'm a teacher, um, I was in so much pain I could hardly walk up and down the stairs. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I have to do something. <laughs> something, exactly, something. Yeah. Have you been using any herbs to help with pain relief? Um, no, I, I don't know very much. <laughs> oh, that's fine. There are a lot of different herbs that can help relieve pain. Um, and one of the things that you might want to find out is, is your body m- more geared to the poppy side of the spectrum or the cannabis side of the spectrum? There are two okay. different pain-relieving systems in the body, the cannabinoid system and the opioid system. Okay. California poppy is the safest of all poppies to use. It doesn't contain any of the addictive alkaloids of the opium poppy, but it has quite a few of the same effects. And you can kind of get a sense of how your body is going to relate to those kinds of herbs by using some California poppy. And start out with small doses, two or three drops, and gradually increase Mm -hmm. to see if it's really going to be very helpful for you. California poppy isn't very useful for me. I just made last year a tincture of the fresh petals, and I'm going to try that out and see if that works. Um, Because I know the other tincture that I had wasn't from the fresh flowers. But even the drug opioids are really just totally fall flat for me. But the cannabis pain relief pathway is very strong in my body. And just about any kind of um, cannabis tincture, oil, smoke, will relieve pain for me. And depending on what I'm using and how I'm using it, either short term or over the long term. And have you said before that, that like the capsules are not not effective? I think I've heard you say that, but maybe not. <laughs> it's not so much that they're not effective, but capsules in general of any herb are going to be the poorest quality. Okay. And every independent um, place that's looked at herbal supplements has found generally 90% of them either don't have the herb that's listed on the label or have more of it or less of it than is supposed to have. So the quality is not going to be good. And if there's going to be a side effect, it's going to happen from a dried herb in a capsule. Okay. Almost all of the side effects are from that particular way of ingesting them. And you're taking a very small amount of herb in a way that really demands that your body's digestive system be top-notch. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're taking the plant as a tincture, it's like it's already digested. Or if you're drinking a nourishing herbal infusion, it's already digested. Your body doesn't have to do much mm-hmm. to get that. Okay. Okay? Okay. And I'm going to say... Green blessings, although we could talk longer and see if I could answer this last caller's question before we talk to Samad. All right. Thank you. All right. Feel, feel free to call back in again. Green okay, blessings. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night.
All right, and our last caller has dialed in from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Hi. Hey, what's up tonight? Um, I've got a quick question just for you to think about. Shepherd's Purse is looking really nice this year, and I've only had experience using it in a tincture. Recently, I went to Pennsylvania to apprentice work with this other midwife, and she puts it in her labor infusion, or no, postpartum, and I know you don't like blends, but I'm just asking you about the infusion effect of it, and that's my question. The infusion effect of Shepherd's Purse? Yes. Um, is she is, making is it, an is infusion? It a water, is it a, I'm sorry, is it a mustard? It is. It's a, it's a mustard, right? No. Yes, it's a, it's in the mustard family. Yes. Uh, okay. Generally, the top of the shepherd's purse with intact seed pods. In other words, you wait until it's gone completely at the seeds. Although it's okay if it still has some flowers, that is the part that's tinctured, and that tincture is generally used to stop uterine hemorrhage, stop postpartum hemorrhage, stop menopausal hemorrhaging. It has been used, the seeds have been gathered where it grows profusely and used as a flower extender. Uh, a flower extender of, for other plants? or F-L-O-U-R, like when you're making bread. Oh, sweet. Okay. Right? I thought you meant like a growth regulator or something. Oh, no, like it, it, you harvest, and I had been in a couple of places where there was, in a barnyard, where the shepherd's purse was, I am not kidding you, over my knees tall, and thousands of seed pods on it, and really I could, just with a swipe of my hand, you know, knocking it into a bowl in about five minutes, collect enough that would have made a difference in bread that I made. Okay, okay, that's cool. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, It's not a really necessarily nutritive. Is it a, a alternative? Is it a tonic? I mean, I've only I've I've seen it work so fast with the tincture. So that's and my right. own fresh. The tincture it stops it stops bleeding as a tea, as an infusion. I don't think it's going to do very much at all. But that's okay. Is, is so that you don't think there's any um, good in there that'll help them from bleeding? Like if it's good for bleeding, that means it could. It's good for prevention, which is not necessarily true, but I think that's what I think not you're thinking. That, no, it's my sister, who was a midwife for a great many years, tried using hyperic, I'm sorry, tried using shepherd's purse tincture as a preventative of postpartum hemorrhage. And what she found was that it caused women to create very large blood clots, which were extremely painful to pass. Well, just because it's good for stopping bleeding doesn't mean it will necessarily have the same constituents to prevent you from bleeding. Correct. Nor would those constituents necessarily be soluble in water, since we know they are soluble in alcohol. Thank you. All right. That was a good question. I got a great answer. Thanks, Susan. You are so welcome. Green blessings. (laughs) Green blessings. Good night. All right, and I see some oh. ideas with that. Oh, wonderful. 
For over 20 years, Sumati Sparks has been coaching people of all relationship configurations, gender expression, sexual orientations, and cultures to create successful, consensual, ethical, non-monogamous love and intimate connections. She's a no-nonsense, wise woman, a loving empath, a wounded healer, and a powerful stand for love. Since 1984, Sumati Sparks has been on a personal path of 12-step work and recovery, has studied directly, and taught with many spiritual and relationship teachers, including the great Indian saint, Mata Amritananda, also known as Amachi, who gave her the name Sumati. Since 1997, she's been on her own transformational path of conscious, consensual non-monogamy. Welcome to the show, Sumati. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. I'm so excited to be here with, in the space of the wise woman. <laughs> I don't know if you got to hear the very beginning of the show where I said that I was intrigued by your name. So I looked it up online. And what I found was that it means good mind and that it was the name of one of the kings of the Mahabharata. And the Sumati had 60,000 children. Oh, well. <laughs> I thought you would like that a lot. Now, that's really polyamorous. If I was a man, I might have that many children. <laughs> <laughs> but for one woman to do it, woo! <laughs> that would be a lot. <laughs> yes, um, you know, in India, the word mind is kind of more this all-encompassing. It's kind of more like essence. Yes. So the way in, in the West we think of mind as just the intellect, but for them the mind is like where everything stems from. So I, when people ask me what my name means, I say pure essence. Oh, That's beautiful. kind of a, more, a better translation for our language, yeah. <laughs> beautiful. I I actually have a kind of feminist objection to the word essence because it oh, comes okay. from Plato, and Plato defined essence as that which is unchangeable, uh-huh. therefore male. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's where I object to. <laughs> so I don't, I don't use the word essence because okay. it literally says that women don't have an essence because women are huh. changeable. Huh. Well, I have, and I have one of the things that we feeling. know, especially about consensual relationships, is you better be able to be flexible and changeable. Absolutely. You have to really be willing to grow and be cooperative and find compromises and you know, and grow, like you have to be really into personal growth to, to live this kind of love style. <laughs> so for the past 25 years, you've been consciously being con- in consensual, non-monogamous relationships. Can, what can you tell us about that? Um, well, I call myself the open relationship coach because I kind of like the phrase open relationship a little better than non-monogamy. They're both umbrella terms for different styles. Um, Non-monogamy is telling me that I'm not something, right? So I don't want to go around saying I'm not monogamous. I'd rather say I am into open relationship, right? So I want to say more what I am than what I'm not. And open relationship also is flexible enough 
that it can include non-sexual connections. Because I have, for example, somebody I call my post-romantic partner. So I have a, a partner that I was with for 10 years. Um, our relationship transitioned to where we were no longer romantic or sexual, but we're still in each other's lives as life partners. He's not my only life partner, but he's a life partner. And so open relationship, any new partners I have, they need to know that this person's really important to me. I don't have sex with him anymore, but he's really important to me. And in a default monogamous world relationship, you know, worldview, you wouldn't get to have a friend like that. If somebody was your ex, they'd be like, what are you doing talking to your ex, right? (laughs) So open relationship implies that we're open to staying connected with people and forming new connections. And what those look like depend on the, the main archetype that I've selected with any given person. So I think of there's five main archetypes that go under the umbrella of open relationship. Do you want to hear what those are? Yes, please. Okay, cool. So the most common one that people think of most often when they think about open relationships or polyamory, they think of a couple like a primary partnership, married couple or a couple that lives together or is really solid together, and they're opening their relationship and bringing one or more people into it, either as a triad or just dating them, but there's this primary partnership. And so that's a perfectly valid model. That's what I'm practicing at this moment in my life. Um, and that's probably the most common way people practice uh, open relationship is through the primary partner or there's a hierarchy there where our partnership is more important than the other relationships. And then the second one is solo polyamory. And that's where you don't have a hierarchy. So each person that you love is your love for them is there's no hierarchy. Like I love this person just as much as I love that person. And um, I decide who to spend time with and who to share holidays with and who to do whatever with based on conversations I have with each person. So there's just a lot of conversations, and you have to get really good at communication, but there's no hierarchy. Uh, solo polyamorous people usually don't like to live with someone. They, they want to be their own primary partner. They usually want to live alone. It doesn't mean partners can't come over for a few nights a week and spend the night, but they want to have their own primary residence usually. Um, the third one is swingers, also known as lifestyle. The swingers are usually in a primary partnership, but they don't have emotional connections with people. They just have more sexual, you know, lighthearted, fun, playful, sexual connections at parties and stuff. They may be friends with people, but they don't have separate relationships with the other people. Um, the fourth one is polyfidelity, and that's where more than one, more than two people are in a relationship. So three or more people are in a romantic sexual relationship and they don't date anyone outside that little pod. So it could be three, four, five, ten people, but it's a closed circle, so they're fidelis with each other. Um, and not everybody necessarily needs to be sexual with each other. There could be just different configurations of lovers, but they've decided to just close that group so that they can stay emotionally and, you know, stay from STIs and, you know, a variety of reasons like that where they want to stay closed. Um, and then the fifth one is what we call ambi-amorous. So ambi like is an ambidextrous. So an ambi-amorous person can either be in an open relationship or not, depending on the person they're with or depending on the bandwidth they have in their life. They might be caring for a sick child or an elderly parent or, you know, just lost their job and broke their leg or, you know, they just got too much going on in their life and they can't handle more than one relationship. So they're fine 
just having one person for that period of their life. So they're kind of flexible to go either way. So those are like the main archetypes, those five, and we do flow among those sometimes. Many people do, but not everyone does. Um, but the subtypes, which I won't take all, this, all our little uh, limited amount of time to go into, but there's five subtypes where it can look more like how do we do this do you know you know how do we involve other people in our life do we go on separate dates with them or do we only date them together do i want to hear about what you're doing with your other lovers or i don't or do i want to just don't ask don't tell you know that kind of stuff goes under the subtypes and all the major archetypes you know the same five subtypes can branch off of them does that make sense it does absolutely and that has a lot of those subtypes have to do with jealousy and jealousy styles and how that's handled. You know, exactly. Jealousy is such an, a potent word because it's not really a feeling. It's more like um, a thought with like a body sensation or maybe a belief or, um, you know, some sadness and fear thrown in there. And so it, it really helps us to identify like what, why are you calling it jealousy? Like, what's underneath that? What need is not being met? What is your desire? Um, what do you? What kind of reassurance do you need? And so we all have different needs around that. Some people just don't really feel a lot of jealousy. They might feel sad if somebody chooses to, you know, ha- spend less time with them and spend more time with someone else. But it's not like jealousy. It's just kind of more sadness. Um, whereas other people can get crazy jealous and their whole nervous system gets wonky and they can't sleep or eat, you know. So there's a wide range of how our nervous system can handle this. And so you're right. That's why we have these subtypes that keep us safe. And that's what I'll, I'll explain mine with my um, primary partner right now. Our subtype is what we call kitchen table polyamory. And that's where you know all your partner's other sweeties. Like you know them. You can all sit around the table and talk and you know, share feelings and maybe even, you know, cuddle and watch a movie together. You're not necessarily lovers with them, but you're close, you know, close friends. And that's the way we like to do it. We like to be with other people who who are in our tribe, who are in our close connection. And that's how I feel safe. Whereas other people might want to do parallel relationships where, you know, you go date somebody and then just come home. You know, I don't need to know what's going on. I don't need to know that person. You know, so everybody's got different needs and that's where the really high level of communication skills come in so you can talk about this stuff. And then when you get triggered, how do you deal with those triggers without your relationship blowing up? So that's what I help people with. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about that. What do you mean by triggers and how do you handle it? Um, Well, a trigger is when you um, get into that fight, flight, or freeze mode. And nowadays they're saying fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. There's like five different states that we can go into, like we're fawning over someone, you know, like if somebody's um, threatening us physically, we can either fight back, we can flight, we can run away, we can just freeze, or we can get super extra nice to try to get out of the situation. So that's a primal reaction that, you know, has been with us since the beginning of Homo sapiens, you know. And so when that part of our brain gets triggered, we go into you know, that primal part of our brain, and we literally change how we think about things and how we see things. So normally, like right now, as you and I are talking, we're in our mostly focused in our prefrontal cortex of our brain. That's the 
highly functioning executive functioning level of our brain where we can, you know, talk about complex concepts like open relationships, you know, and herbs and things like that and healing. Um, but when we get triggered, when we feel a threat or a fear, we no longer can um, see nuance. Everything becomes safe or unsafe, you know, black or white. And suddenly your most beloved person in your life looks like a tiger that's about to eat you. Like that's what your brain thinks about them. So they become a threat. And then you start saying things to them that you regret later because you're afraid that they're going to eat you. <laughs> like literally your brain <laughs> is in that mode. <laughs> and so we have to get good at noticing that. And we have, this is a practice. All the things I teach are practices. I never promise anybody that overnight you're going to get relational concepts down. I mean, relationships are the hardest thing we do in our life, right? And we also get the most joy Absolutely. There's an old joke about the person, and, you know, they're sought out because they are enlightened. And the first seeker comes and says, oh, enlightened one, and the enlightened one says, oh, I was until you showed up. Exactly. Or like Ram Dass used to say, you think you're enlightened? Go spend a weekend with your parents. Right. (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, monks who sit in a treehouse meditating, that's easy. Try to be in a romantic sexual relationship where you, you know, stay in love and stay juicy. That's the hardest thing. You really have to. Children under the age of six. I'm sorry? With a couple of children under the age of six. Oh, if you have children, too. There you go. There's a challenge. There you go, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it's the hardest thing that we do in our life, and it's also studies have shown that a happy relationship creates longevity and health and vibrancy in your life. So it's worth it for us to learn these tools and work at it to make it work. So all the things that I teach people about open relationships are the same skills that will serve you in a monogamous relationship, too. I think monogamous people can learn these ninja relationship skills from from non-monogamous people because we ha- we can't sweep stuff under the rug. We have to deal with it. So, so we've learned all these tools and skills to make it work. So when we get triggered, if you don't remember anything else about this talk today, here's one thing I'd like you to take home with you, and that is take a time out. It's okay. Even if you're so upset you can't even speak the words, just make the timeout sign with your hands like they do in football, you know. Just say timeout and then just separate from each other and stop because you're not going to be able to have that nuanced conversation about empathy and how, you know, I see your point of view even though I don't agree with it, you know, that kind of stuff. You can't do that when you're in your lizard brain. You have to take some time out. And go and do something to calm your nervous system. Like that might be just taking a walk. It might be playing music or taking a nap or calling a friend or, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to calm your nervous system, some deep breath. But don't come back and try to talk to your partner again until you're back calm again and back into your prefrontal cortex of your brain. So that's the biggest thing I teach people is, is use the timeout liberally. Get better and better at using it sooner than later, before you throw in those jabs that you then have to clean up later. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent advice, right? Create or use a timeout signal with each other and accept it. If the other one says mm-hmm. timeout, don't keep pushing. 
Thank you. That's so let, important. Let, it, that let it be a time out. Yeah, and the, other person the, says and it, the like, opposite hey. uh, the opposite also works. Uh, when the other person notices that you're triggered? No. If you can't take a time out or they won't let you take a time out, you put your hands up against each other and one says no and the other says yes. No, yes, uh-huh. no, yes, no, yes. And then you <laughs> switch. Yes, oh, no, yes, no, you switch, and yeah. then you switch again, and then you switch again, and you wind up laughing hysterically, right? That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that with a partner. We would, we would, um, if we caught the other person making a you statement, like you just need to do this, or if you would only do that, we would just lean into the yous, and they go, no, you, no, you, and then we'd start laughing. So, yeah, right. things like that that diffuse the energy are really great. Yeah, you yeah. don't absolutely have to take a time out. You don't have to walk away from it. You can walk into it. There you go. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I like that. And, and again, um, that's just a different style. It's not that one way is better than another way. But some people are not going to accept being walked away from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's their relationship well, style is no, you don't walk away from it. You stay and you, you fight this out to the bitter end. So then... Here's a way to do it without hurting each other. Mm-hmm. Well, as we get better at taking the timeouts, as we practice noticing it sooner in our bodies, like we, we notice like, oh, that feeling is coming on now where I can no longer think clearly. I'm going to take a timeout before it gets crazy. Mm. Then mm. you can say like, hey, sweetie, I'm just going to go around the block. I'll be right back. You know, you can reassure them that it's going to be short. Or you can say, you know what, it's time for me to go to my yoga class. Let me just go do that. I'll be back in two hours, and we can talk again. So you can kind of give them some reassurance and some clarity about how long you're going to be gone as you get better at it, right? Oh, how beautiful. But, That's wonderful. Yeah. Mm. But this, these are all practices, like I said. And, you know, the mm-hmm. thing about staying in it, like you both have to agree to that because one person could be getting so volatile and say really hurtful things that have to – you know, get cleaned up later. So both people have to agree that if we get triggered, we're going to stay in it. We're going to push each other's hands or whatever. Like there has to be an agreement because you could really end up hurting each other if you're not both agreeing to that. If you're not agreeing, exactly. Right, right, right. So, so the word trigger, triggers with the S on the end is an acronym. And I'll just go through it really quick here because um, some, some people, I believe it's, um, if you've ever heard of uh, Dr. John Gottman, He's, he's a notorious, uh, you know, renowned um, relationship researcher. And he said that relationship repair is the most important skill. So we all get upset with each other. We all trigger each other. And if we can repair that elegantly, that's the most important skill we could have. So let me just take two minutes to go through my acronym here for triggers. So when you're triggered, the T is timeout. The R is reach out for support from someone other than your partner or something other than your partner. If there's nobody available, you can get support from going on a bike ride or whatever. So reach out for support. That's the R. The I is go inside, inside. Learn what your trigger is about. Why did you get triggered? Because it's your feeling. Nobody makes you feel a certain way. It's your feeling. So what did it trigger in you? What from your childhood or what? past pattern or incident got triggered. So it could be when you slammed the door, it reminded me of when my mother used to shut me in a closet or something like that, you know. 
like some some trauma from your childhood. So like get clear on what it is that got triggered in you because your partner needs to know this. Um, so then you're going to get back together when you're both ready, when both of your nervous systems are calm again and you can talk again. The G is get back together and make sure that they're also ready. The second G is to give your repair statement. So the repair statement is, I'm sorry I yelled at you or called you a name or whatever. I got triggered, and what I learned about myself is that, you know, I have this thing from my childhood that that I get really upset when I hear that word or whatever. So let them know that, but say, like, I'm sorry that that, that happened. And the next one, the E, is empathize with the other person. So you're each going to give your repair statement. So you give yours, they give you theirs, and then you empathize with each other. You say, oh, I can understand how you would feel scared now that I know that your mother used to lock you up in a closet, right? Like, give the other empathy for that. And then the R is reassure each other. So, you know, if somebody's scared from the door slamming and they're re-triggered from some childhood incident, you can give them reassurance like, you know, oh, now that I know this about you, I will never slam a door again or I will, you know, let me hold you and tell you that, you know, you're a beautiful person or whatever kind of reassurance. S, the final S is give each other a snuggle. Like just come and snuggle in and hold each other physically and you're not going to go back to talking about the original incident that happened until you reconnect and you've, you know, really given each other empathy for what happened. And then schedule another time to talk about the original incident that you were, <laughs> that you got into the fight about. So this, this little system for relationship pair, repair is really gold. Like if you can get that down, no matter what happens, you can always come back together and learn what caused the, I had a partner that would never talk about it when we got in a fight. He would go, oh, that's behind us now. <laughs> so we never got to, like, learn, well, what was it that got triggered and how can we prevent that from happening again, right? So this right. is really, really gold work for you to do. Yes, it truly, truly is. <laughs> oh. that was Thank you. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that with us. That is just a wonderful pattern of taking care of yourself, acknowledging that you're in a relationship, and that means that in addition to yourself, there's another person. And this is often hard for people or for people who are creating systems where they tend to lean toward take care of yourself and let the other person sink or swim on their own or do mm. everything you possibly can for the other person and nothing for yourself, neither mm. one of which really quite makes it. Exactly. I'm really glad you said that because there are a lot of people in the world of non-monogamy or open relationships who feel like, you know, I'm just going to do my work, you do yours, just let me be free, and I'm going to be who I am, and if you get upset, that's your stuff. Well, that's really harsh because, you know, we're all like grown-up bodies with little children inside. <laughs> we, need, we need our little hearts to be tended to, you know, and I just don't see how you can stay keep your heart open and, and stay juicy and sexy with someone if there's not that kindness there and that concern and reassurance given to each other, you know? Um, I mean, you can have, like, you know, swinger experiences with people that where there's no emotional connection, but if you're in an emotional relationship with someone, that's a little harsh to, to never be willing to hear that they're hurt and be able to hold the space for their hurt. And here, let me just say something about holding the space, because I was just talking to a couple today, one of my clients, about this. 
So we often say, I just need you to hold the space. I don't want you to give advice. I just want you to listen. So it's interesting that we use the word just there because I find that listening and holding the space is a lot more than a just. It's kind of everything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like holding the space for another person's feelings is 90% of what they need. Because we can figure out most of our problems ourselves if we feel loved and held. And so if we can get good at just listening without reacting, it's not about me now. I'm just going to hear what's going on for you. And it doesn't mean I agree with it. I'm just going to hold the space with compassion and empathy for your experience. And if you can do that for me, boy, we can go a long way. That's a huge, huge skill to get good at. And so worthwhile. <laughs> even if no so one do- does it, even if no one does it for you, if you can create in yourself the what I call the infinite space of listening. Mm-hmm. you will be richly rewarded. Yes, yes. And that's one of my advanced, I have a, a program for people who are brand new, who've never practiced open relationship, and then I have like an intermediate program for people that have just started and found it's a lot harder than they thought. And then I have a program for people with a lot of experience who are just having some challenges. And for the more experienced people, I really challenge them to stop trying to get from your relationship and start trying to give. Like how can you look for ways to give love? Because we know that when we're giving, the more selfless we are on a spiritual level, the more selfless we are, the happier we are. So how can you start giving love and resource yourself? And, you know, you can ask for what you want from your partner. If you are clear that you need something that they can give you, you know, don't stop doing that. But mostly look for ways that you can give love rather than trying to get something from somebody else. And that's a high spiritual practice. That is a beautiful, beautiful practice. And you know something about the quality of your love when you are truly able to give that love without any strings attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not easy, and it's a practice like everything else. <laughs> right, it's something you can reach for. <laughs> right. Just like my name, you know, pure mind, pure energy, like that's something I strive for every day and I'll never achieve it perfectly but you know it's something to reach for something to um, aspire to exactly right yeah well we're coming toward the end of the show so what haven't I asked you that you really wanted to talk about hmm well um, like I said I work with um, couples and singles and if you have any interest in working with me um, my website is sumatisparks.com, and there's a quiz on the home page called How Suited Are You for Ethical Non-Monogamy? So you can go on there and take the quiz and see how suited you might be for it if you've been curious about it. And I think anybody who's really into personal and spiritual growth can do it if you're willing to hang in there and work at it. But some pe- for some people, it's a little easier than others. So feel free to go take that quiz. You can find out more about me there, and you can also apply for Um, a consultation with me on my website. And I also have a support group. Um, It's monthly right now. It will eventually be twice a month, but a support group that's online. So from anywhere you live, you can come on and for a very low cost, you can be in a community of people who are all practicing some form of open relationship. You get time to share. If you're in a crisis, you get a little bit more attention from the group 
and from me. And so it's a very, very sweet group. So feel free to email me at sumatisparks at gmail.com. That's also on my website. Um, I'd love to hear from you and, and see how I can help you in some way. So thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sumati Sparks. And y'all, you know, go along there and get some support. I tell you, it's a lot easier when you have support. And part of that support is, of course, the great project that we are undertaking, which is the reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. So thank you for weaving these beautiful, juicy, flexible, flashy fibers into this cloak, Sumati Sparks. Mm, thank you, and Susan, so much. Sarah Ellen, thank you for the Hypericum conference support and for um, the support of my vision of returning herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. It's the medicine right outside your door, and it's really getting right outside your door now. Yeah, go green. Green blessings, <laughs> everybody. Till next week. <laughs>